All right, before we jump right into this, um, just wanted to make sure that everyone knew. We've had it in the bulletin, but that doesn't mean everyone knows. Next Sunday after second service, we're going to be getting together over in the other building back here for a brainstorming session as a church. Um, this building is used for so many, the, the Grace Impact Center, which is the big building back here. You know, we've got the landscaping outside. It's really starting to, starting to look really nice. And we got the front section uh, almost finished. We want to put some bathrooms in the front section so we can continue to use that even as rental space. But we want to finish off that back section. And let me give you a little background. That we're being taxed on that building, which to my chagrin and all of our chagrin, um, on that building. So it, we're being taxed on it. It's also zone B3, which means you can do everything heavy industrial to whatever back there. And so what we want to do is come together as a church. We'd like to use that building, but to heat the building alone, if we just wanted to use it for ministry things, let our kids run around in there, is like $10,000 a month, which is just not realistic in the wintertime when you try to heat it. Um, but if we were able to come up with some ideas of how we could use it for rental, um, just some, some, you know, different business tree ideas, as we call it, that we could use that for during the week. And we could also use it for ministry, but the, the rental would kind of offset our, our ministry use. And so I want the high schoolers there. I want the junior hires there. I want, you know, if someone came up to me today and said, do you really need me there? I don't think I have a lot of good ideas. I said, absolutely. Everyone can bring something to the table. It may be something, someone else at the table, at your table that we're talking, that spurs on another thought that you have, or you say, wait, I know someone who actually does such and such or so and so, or my background is, and so I need, we need everyone there. Everyone who can be there needs to be there. There's childcare, we'll have, uh, we'll have food brought in, and so, you know, we won't make it very long, but after second service, we're going to be around tables, we're going to brainstorm together as a church how we can use that facility and then kind of take all the ideas, see which ones fit together, what best works for us. But this is a critical time. We're moving into a series after this series called All Out. And it's just, we've talked about vision philosophy. That building back there is one of the greatest tools that we have, okay, for outreach. Um, You know, even last night we had probably, how many kids did we have there? We We had 66 children there last night. What ages? Kindergarten through sixth grade, 66 children. That's not including families and people helping out. So we have like, you know, you know 80, 80 so people there last night using that facility. And this is, this is kind of an outreach to our community. We show a movie, we give them popcorn, and the kids come out. It's just a great way to reach out. I know Zumba, we're doing Zumba now over there. They have like 30, 40 women coming, and, and they're having a fantastic time. None of the men are allowed in, but I, I hear from other people that they're having a fantastic time over there. But those are just some of the ideas that we could be using this building, you know, seven days a week, um, a lot of the hours where it's just sitting idle. So come next week, please, I'm asking you please to come next week, take an hour, an hour and a half of your day, let's sit down, let's brainstorm, we'll get these together. We're looking for more leaders who want to be a part of driving this forward, but everything, everyone here has something to bring to the table to help us drive that part of the ministry forward because the church continues to advance. God is doing amazing things. I am just totally excited about the direction we're going, and that would give us a real edge. You know, that place is big enough for a soccer field. We have basketball, baseball, but I don't want it just to be, we want it to be a multi-purpose facility, um, not just sports related. So don't think in your mind, well, I don't really, not into sports, I don't need to be there. We want it to be multi-purpose. If it's not being used for this, 
what else could it be used for at a different time, okay? So just keep that in mind. Start dreaming now. Come next week with some thoughts. All right. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says this, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. A little bit of a background. You see all these balloons here? If you were here about a year and a half ago, we started a series called Conversations with a Happy Heathen. For me to kind of get you into the, into the mood of this, because this is completely different than probably anything you've ever experienced at church, um, I got to give you a little background. When I was 17 years old, before I get into this, I would encourage you to pick up the, the, the CDs from the last series. It'll give you a really good foundation. I can't get into all the detail now, but that'll give you a very good foundation of where we're going with this series over the next three weeks. I'm 17 years old. I hadn't really gone to church very much in my life. You know, like a normal non-church going person, like Easter, Christmas sometimes. I did like Palm Sunday when I was real little because uh, we lived in Ocean Grove, New Jersey. And for, for two years there, they give little palms out. And I love to wave the palm kind of thing. So I did go once in a while, um, but not, not very much. My family wasn't very religious, uh, you know, but weren't Christians. And so uh, most of my life, just church had nothing. To do, I had nothing to do with church. I'm 17 years old, living in a one-bedroom apartment with my mom in New York. Had a lot of friends in this apartment complex who I really cared about. One of them was Patty, who is my oldest friend. Uh, when I moved to New York, um, she was one of the first, first people I met. And uh, she lived in the apartments. We kind of became good friends. She moved away for about a year. And then she came back to the apartments and started hanging around again. And the, the dif- difference about her is that she, she seemed a lot more alive, a lot more happy, um, and she said that she was going to church. Well, <laughs> I know, you know, I'm thinking she's in a cult because who goes to church and is happier? You know what I mean? Happy church is kind of boring, you know? You know, I, I, my, my friends and I were sitting around going, we got to help her out. We got to get her out of this. So when she invited us to church, we said yes, but our idea was to show her that these people were cults and all that kind of stuff, and we're going to help her out. So I went to the meeting, uh, this youth group meeting, and I went into the house. It was a house at the youth group. Uh, we had a youth group meeting at the, somebody's house. You know how you walk in some people's doors and they have the steps that go right up? Well, me being, my philosophy of life before I was a Christian was I hate everyone I don't know and I hate most people I do know. The only people I even cared about were close family members and the people in that apartment complex. Those are the people I cared about. Grew up, had a lot of struggles growing up, um, by the time I was 17, I was so angry and so bitter and had such hatred in my heart that I was, I was almost dangerous and I'm being sincere. Um, and it was at that time that she invited me to, to go to this church meeting. So the last thing I ever wanted anybody to do was be behind me. I didn't like people behind me. Every situation I walked into usually uh, was if there's a large group of people, there was some kind of confrontation. So having people behind you wasn't a good thing. So I go to this youth group meeting. I go to the very top of the stairs, lean up against the, the wall on the side, and make sure everybody's sitting in front of me. That was a bad strategic move on my part because the youth pastor came in the room and he was talking about whatever, and then all of a sudden he said, we're going to take this Play-Doh. Now, I was more, growing up, everybody has kind of a group they hang out with. I was more of a hood. So um, in my apartment complex, people didn't play with Play-Doh, okay, at 17 years old. And if you did, you'd probably get your head pounded in by all your friends if you broke out the Play-Doh. So I brought one friend with me along with Patty, and I said to my friend Don, uh, listen, I'll, I'll never say anything if you don't say anything. 
I would have left. We were trying to get an exit strategy, but one of the worst things in life for me was to draw attention to myself. And so I didn't want to go, pardon me, pardon me, pardon me, excuse me, all the way down the stairs in front of 40 people and leave the place. So I stayed there. He made me like a football or something at a Play-Doh because the youth pastor said, make something for someone that reminds you of something you do together, you know, something like that. I don't remember. And uh, he made me a football and I made a bat and ball for him and gave it to each other, stuck in our pockets and try to figure out our exit strategy as soon as they stood up or something. As I'm sitting there, Anne-Marie, a girl in the youth group I didn't know, uh, came up to us and she had a card, she broke up a piece of cardboard off a box and she made like 40 or 50 of these smile faces from the late 70s, early 80s. This is where these balloons come from. Basically, smile faces on a cardboard. She walks up to me and looks me right in the face and says, we're all glad you're here. Now, you know, I, I put on my, you know, hey, thanks, you know, big deal kind of attitude at 17 and want to be, you know, cool and everything. But inside, I'll be honest with you, that was, that melted my heart. I mean, it really, it opened me up a little bit. Um, I'd never been in a situation like that where 40 or 50 high school students were saying, hey, we're glad you're here. No one wants to fight. No one's going to try to challenge you. It's just, we're glad you're here. But she was the one who took the time to do that. And that's one of the reasons I'm standing up here today, because I would have not gone back most likely because I felt uncomfortable. I didn't want to play with Play-Doh. And she got me to come back the second time. And so I'm going to jump forward 30 years. I'm sitting at home, get on Facebook. Um, You know, people on Facebook start to get to know who's who and they start checking out your name. And so all of a sudden I get this Facebook request, friendship request from this Anne, Anne Marie. Now, 30 years goes by, and you know, I'm looking at her face. I'm saying, wait, I know this person. I know who this is. And I said, is this the Anne Marie who gave me the smile faces? Now, understand, I still have three of those smile faces, two in my office and one at home, in case I want to make sure they're in two different places, because they mean so much to me. I still have, I have 30-something-year-old Play-Doh in my desk drawer, okay, um, in my office. That's how important these things are to me, because uh, they changed, they made a, a huge difference in my life. And so I'm just so excited that this may be the person who actually gave me the smile faces. And I spent the next two or three years with in, in church kind of thing, hanging out a little bit with, with them and getting to know them and building relationships and friendships. So she, she writes and I said, are you the Anne-Marie? She said, yes, from, from uh, the, the church. So we start talking and she's, she realizes that, you know, who, what I'm doing with my life as a pastor um, and I just asked her, what's happening with you? And she said, our lives have gone in completely different directions. I'm, I'm happy where I am. Um, I'm, sh- I'm sure you're happy where you are. I'm, I'm thankful that you're a pastor, but I'm not. I mean, I'm, I, don't, I don't go to church. Basically, she's an atheist. And uh, she basically said that I went to youth group because it was, it was fun. It was, you know, something social to do, but I never really believed. I just, you know, I went and, and did my thing, but I never really got into it. Um, so we started, and I asked her, you know, what was it? And we started these conversations. And at one point during our conversation, uh, she said, you know, maybe, maybe someday you could do a series on this for a sermon series called Conversations with a Happy Heathen, because she calls herself a happy heathen. She's not, she doesn't know God, she doesn't want to know God, and she's happy f- with, with her life. And so that's what we did. We started this series called Conversations with a Happy Heathen. Now, this morning, I'm going to do something a little different. The last series, I took one argument that she had and I built a sermon around that argument. So we would lay out her argument and then I would respond to that argument. This morning, I'm going to do something a little different. This is an actual conversation 
Um, this, this is all done by Facebook. I have, I think, almost 700 posts back and forth. I have two books about this thick of back and forth conversations, you know, apologetics, which is how to defend your faith, going back and forth with her. Um, but I, I did it more in a, a respond, I say something, she says something form this morning, more of a conversation. Now, understand, there are posts, so she lays out a post, and then I kind of answer a question, so it's not going to be exact, but I think it flows well enough for you to get a feeling for how we do this. So, um, I started this discussion. Okay, Ann, how about a discussion around how God speaks, from your perspective, if he speaks at all? I know it's more experiential, but I would like to hear your thoughts anyway. I was watching the news, and they said that there were between 80 and 100 million Christians in China. It got me thinking about a, a woman uh, from China who I was talking to in my office. She said, we were taught that God didn't exist and discouraged from, believe it, from belief in him. No one ever talked about it, but I always knew there was a God. They couldn't drive him out of my heart. And I find it interesting that whenever Christianity is silenced, it seems to explode. Okay, I'm just going to ramble on here. As a rule, communism is concerned with controlling people from a socioeconomic point of view. And by the way, it has failed miserably. Not because of religious oppression, but simply because of human oppression. Religion, which is ultimately a personal expression of a worldview, threatens that attempt of control. I don't doubt that people have a tendency, and in some cases a need, to believe in a higher power. But we also have a tendency and a need to look for evidence and patterns to verify our perceptions. I would argue that atheists and scientists work in reverse order. Believers believe, then look for evidence, or in some cases make up evidence. Non-believers look at evidence and then determine what to believe. Now, this is going to be more of a back-and-forth kind of reading here, so it's not preaching as much. There, there are many areas of your posts I'd like to address. One would be your thought that non-believers look at evidence and then determine what to believe. That's true in theory, I believe you may dis discipline yourself to think that way, but I have seen so many instances where scientists and atheists begin with a presupposition and then spend their entire lives trying to prove it. For example, they decide that God, there is no God, and then they see everything through that lens. The conclusions they come to are based on that belief system. I will admit I see life through the lens of God's existence, but I continue to see truth in the words of C.S. Lewis, no matter where it leads. I believe that I'm an honest seeker of truth. I still question some of my beliefs, but that usually ends up strengthening my faith. So it's no surprise to me that you have questions about God. I may disagree, but I do understand your thoughts concerning religion. Many who say they believe don't always represent God very well. The amazing thing is when I struggle with understanding, God often shows up through an experience. He touches my intellect and my heart. I looked at the evidence when I started going to church and came to belief in Jesus Christ. You said that believers believe, then look for evidence, or in some cases make up evidence. I didn't believe in Christ when I showed up to youth group or to church for the first time. It was through the evidence presented that I believed. I think once you believe, you begin to see God's power in your life every day. God also shows himself to non-believers all the time, but they choose because of their presuppositions or beliefs not to see it. I don't think Christians have cornered the market when it comes to determining a belief system and then finding evidence that supports their position. Non-believers do it all the time. 
The question is, who's in denial? Or who's willing to be honest? I go back to C.S. Lewis. Follow the truth wherever it leads. He did that, and it led him to a belief and a faith in Jesus Christ. I look forward to your exceptional insights. Still smiling, Jeff. So the evidence that was presented to you as a non-believer that convinced you to believe was the Bible or your feelings or what others told you? Sam Harris would say it this way. If our youth pastor, Rich, told you that there was a purple spaghetti monster in the sky that loved you and he had a special book with all the purple spaghetti monster secrets to happiness, if he only said three words, you would think he was crazy. Religion is just a larger, more complex system of the same process. It's been ingrained in our societies because it's a tool of power over gullible people. Feelings in the Bible are not evidence. The fact that others believe is not evidence. Words are not evidence. Coincidence is not evidence. Just an interesting and unlikely correspondence of two events. Now, she, she brings this up, and she brings it up multiple times in our discussions. I'm going to read this to you again. Uh, it's just an interesting and unlikely correspondence of two events. Let me, let me share one thing she's talking about there. When we first started talking, we were about a month into it, and she and her family went on vacation to Disney World. And as they're walking through Disney World, now we're going through these arguments, now you understand the smile face, how important this is to this whole storyline, okay? She's going through Disney World, and perfectly nice blue sky, she looks up, and there's a sky rider. And she's thinking, well, what is it writing? Eat at Joe's, or, um, you know, marry me, so-and-so. And as she looks up, this is what's written in the sky. God plus you equals a smile face. So God plus you equals smile face is written in the sky. That's what she sees when she looks up. Now, you know, she then looks at that and says, ah, it's a coincidence, you know, two things coming together. But those are some of the things as, again, if you, if you just refuse to believe there's a God, that becomes just a chance hap- happening. To me, that was a way that God was trying to speak to her, but she didn't see it that way. Why not talk about the truth of evolution or the expansive understanding of the universe or any other myriad of other evidentiary-based subjects? And you said it's been ingrained in our society because it's a tool of power over gullible people. That is such a distortion of truth. Atheist regimes, China for one, try to control their people through the use of power. The United States, which is an open and free society founded on Judeo-Christian principles, built a culture on the belief that man can rule himself. It's the great experiment of America. It's the liberal progressives in our, or communists in our country today who are attempting to con- con- who are attempting to control people with their godless philosophies. They believe that we, the people, are unable to make good decisions for ourselves and need them to guide us or tell us what to think. And how can you call some of the most incredible or the greatest minds in all of history gullible? How can you call billions of people gullible? Are you even comparing Sam Harris's intellect to C.S. Lewis's? It's a hollow argument. If I told you that nothing created something, you would think I was crazy. But Sam Harris believes that nothing created everything. And try as you may to avoid it, that's what you're left with. Faith is not the sole experience of the believer. I love talking with you, my friend, and it's my prayer that one day God will give you an experience that will be undeniable. One other thought. I find that many times atheists deny the existence of God, not based upon evidence, logic, or reason, but on a negative experience with religion in the past. 
for clarification, I believed in a God when I was very young because I would lay in bed at seven, eight, nine years old and think about the universe. I knew at some point there was nothing and I struggled with the universe just appearing. I didn't understand the intellectual arguments, but I knew the universe had to have a beginning. The universe cannot be eternal. That's why atheists argue that something came from nothing. That's all they have left, magic. So as a child, I came to the conclusion that God made more sense as a first cause than having faith that nothing did it all. When I came to church, the question was, who is God? Not, is, God, is there a God? Like I did as a child, most people in our, in our culture believe in a God out there somewhere without living for him or serving him. They fail to ask the most important question, who he is? Who is God? And when you got me to come back to youth group, you started my journey to Jesus Christ. My question was, is the Bible true? Not does the Bible tell me to believe in some God. I came to Christ because I looked at the evidence and found it to be true. The arguments for Christ are very compelling. Let me just say, I can't stand C.S. Lewis. <laughs> I expect you feel likewise about Harris. To each his own. My own is right and brilliant. <laughs> Have you lost your mind, woman? How can you hate C.S. Lewis? I guess I won't be sending you the videos of the Chronicles of Narnia that I was planning to send. Here's a thought. I wonder if you've ever considered that through our discussions, the opposite could happen. Not that I would come to love your God, but that you would come to know my non-God? Didn't think so. I think you need to go into any discussion with an open mind. It would take an act of God to change my mind, but I would be dishonest if I was not open to all truth. When Anthony Flew, now Anthony Flew is the world's most notorious atheist. He's like the father of atheism. When Anthony Flew changed his mind about God, he quoted the Socratic Club's motto, which is C.S. Lewis's. Follow the truth wherever it leads. I want to follow truth wherever it leads. I have never followed God with a blind faith or a closed mind. I believe that following God is a step of faith, not a giant leap. As for the negative experience of religion, uh, yeah. Personally, I feel irked that I was deceived and manipulated in the name of God. Not by evil people, but by society and family and trusted friends. It's still upsetting to think about. I think that's part of the problem. Someday you need to help me better understand the manipulation and deceit. In our discussions, I've never tried to manipulate or deceive you. I'm checking my motives. No, I don't think I have. So why can't our discussions stand on their own? That's part of the problem with negative experiences. They sometimes create roadblocks to looking at a subject with pure and honest thought. I know I have some of the same issues in reverse, but it's up to both of us to recognize that and not allow those feelings and emotions to cloud our search for truth. On a side note, as a pastor and a friend, it really bothers me that you've been hurt. I think if you grew up in our church, you may have still walked away from God for a period of time, but I don't think you would have walked away carrying the same burden. Indeed, I felt a great relief when I cast off the heavy cloak of religion, but that's not the reason why I became a non-believer. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Religion may be heavy, but Jesus is not. When I came to faith in Jesus Christ, Life finally made sense to me and the weight of the world was like lifted off my, sh my shoulders. It seems that you got relig the religion and I got the relationship. 
that helps me understand why you feel the way you do. It's simply that my eyes were open to life as it is. And significantly, I discovered the option to not believe. Instead, I'm inspired by humanity. I'm overwhelmed by the miracle of science. Art and nature and music and words thrill me. Relationships are my joy. The universe blows my mind. I guess I would ask the question, if there's no God, what purpose and meaning do those thoughts and feelings and ideas have? They are simply chemical reactions to things which you choose to apply value. Now, let me read that again, and I'm going to give her response because we, we, she's responded to me already on this one. I said, they are simply chemical reactions to things you choose to apply value if there's no God. And her response was, yep. I state this emphatically. I don't need or want for anything else. My cup overflows, and I am full of wonder and gratitude without God. Without God, the word wonder is meaningless. Animals, bits of carbon, are not full of wonder. Freak mutations who somehow became conscious only wonder because they are trying to fill a void. Going mad is not, to, is not advancing the species. Without God, this world is a cosmic joke, and the joke is on us. Pain, suffering, joy, peace, miracles, music, art have no meaning outside of what you try to give them. Without God, we live, we die, period. Everything else is a desperate attempt to find purpose in a world without purpose. We exist in a cold, dark universe where love is just a concept we create to keep ourselves from facing the reality that we are all alone. You put a great deal of weight on the origin of the universe argument. I don't. Darwin's theory does enough to dismantle the Christian model without having to speculate any further. You don't want to speculate any further because that is a dead-end road for atheists. Science states that nothing cannot create something, but that doesn't stop the atheists. They just say, I don't want to explain. I don't have to explain it. It just is, and that's good enough for me. That, my friend, is the giant leap of faith that I couldn't take when I was eight, and I still can't take at 48. I think that really bothers the non-believer. What really bothers them is that in the end, faith still rules the day. As a Christian, my model has its foundation in God as the first cause. How can a non-believer even build a model with no foundation? Darwin's theory is based on the foundation that nothing created everything. So nothing is your foundation. And then there's good old-fashioned common sense. It's fun to talk about, but I would never base my faith, or lack thereof, on the speculation of origin. The question of origin makes you think. It leads you on a quest for understanding and truth. Can nothing create everything? Let me say that again. Can nothing create everything? If the answer is no... You don't just say it doesn't matter and God can't be real. You search for the truth and follow it wherever it leads. You said, if I told you nothing created something, you would think I was crazy. Uh, no, I wouldn't. I've personally experienced the creation of life with my three children. An egg and a sperm are not nothing, but they ain't Jackson or Calvin or Jillian, and they are something. Artists, musicians, writers create something from nothing all the time. I'm not sure how you compare the universe appearing out of nothing with an artist painting a picture, but that allows you to sleep at night. Okay. I got to stop here. A little side note, okay? We just have to stay on this for a second. A couple weeks ago, we had one of our students paint this picture, okay? 
who, who painted this picture? The artist, right? Uh, when, when, a mus- when, a, when music is made, who, who makes the music? The musician. Okay, let me, let me give, let's just, let's just try an experiment here for a second. Blake, are you out there still? Come on up, Blake. Blake, could you play your guitar for us? Blake is something. So Blake, something, Blake is going to play his guitar and make music. He's going to create music. There we go. Yeah. That was Blake. And he created music from his guitar. Now we're going to try something else. Here's a guitar. We'll see how nothing does. Okay? So just just wait and relax. Give nothing a chance. All we are saying, give nothing a chance. Wait, just hold on. Wait, I, I, I mean, help, help me help nothing out a little bit. There we go. Okay. All right. Well, now, shh, shh. I've even given nothing a guitar. You know what I'm saying? He, they, they, nothing has a guitar here. I could stand here for the rest of eternity. You know what's going to happen? Nothing. And we even have something, a guitar, to start with. Okay? It's not the same thing. Nothing, just nothing creating something, everything coming out of nothing, okay, is not the same thing as an artist who is something painting a picture or a musician getting up and creating music. The musician created the music, okay? The artist painted the picture. The God, our God, created the universe. Okay? Something, something doesn't come out of nothing. Doesn't matter. The idea that a supernatural being created the universe is ridiculous to me. God being the first cause is ridiculous, but nothing being the first cause is scientific. You have more faith than most religious people I know and a religion of your own. And everyone worships something. I'm going to say that again because you have to understand this. I don't care if you, you say you don't believe in God or not. Everyone, we are, we are created to worship. Everyone worships something. You are no exception. Something from nothing is not scientific. It's magic. And what's more that he, she, it would have an interest, whatever, in the tiny consciousness of these insignificant and infinitesimally fleeting bits of carbon that you and I see in the mirror every morning? Well, what can I say? It's just silliness. I thought you said that you were inspired by humanity, but God having interest in us is silliness? I thought you said earlier that you find your meaning and purpose in humanity in the same tiny uh, consciousnesses of these insignificant and infinitesimally fleeting bits of carbon that you and I see in the mirror every morning. And I was created for a purpose before the foundation of the world. I am no more than a forgiven sinner 
but nothing less than someone Jesus died for. Everything that happens in life is for, for a reason, and all things work together for my good. Evidence for Christ? Meaning what? That he exists or something else? I doubt we're using evidence in the same way, but bring it on. I will. Next week. P.S. Look how good I am at training you to argue for Jesus. <laughs> that's how she closes that. Look how good I am at training you to argue for Jesus. And I'll tell you something, that's very true. That's a very true statement. Because as Christians, we come to church and I give you information, I teach you about God and you have that, but you, you really never own your faith. You never really truly understand it until someone challenges you and starts asking questions about your faith. That's why the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15, that we should be, always be ready to give an answer. I know some of you avoid the conversation because you don't think you have the answers. You think, my goodness, if, if she asked me those questions, I wouldn't know what to say. You know what? You don't have to have all the answers. What you need to do is share from your heart what God has been doing in your life. I think if you truly got into conversations, what would happen is it's okay to say, first off, it's okay to say to someone who knows what they're talking about, you know, that's a very good question. Let me get back to you on that. Let me research that and get back to you and then come back and have the conversation. I've been doing this for years. I've been having these conversations with different people for years. So it's a little easier for the pastor to get into these conversations than maybe someone who hasn't you know, spent the time. But I'm telling you, each one of you, if you, if you get into conversation with others, that, is, that will help you grow more than anything else. She's joking here. Not really. She's saying, look how well I'm doing in helping you defend Jesus. And her idea was when I first went back and I said, hey, when I first started going to church, um, you know, it was the evidence that was presented to me that allowed me to become a believer in Jesus Christ. And so she's saying evidence, you know, what's the evidence for a faith in Jesus Christ, since that's where we're going to go, uh, not just there, but that's where we'll go part of next week. But each one of us has to be in that place in our lives where we can, we can understand the other person's perspective and their argument and then be able to share the love of Jesus Christ because here's the reality. What you really need to do, I, don't, I have never, honestly, I have never argued anyone to, into becoming a Christian in my life. Now, I have shared, I've shared my faith. I've gotten to apologetic discussions or, or debates with people where I've led them to Christ, but it wasn't the arguments, winning an argument. What usually leads someone to Christ is your heart, your, your sincerity, the desire that you have to share your faith. You don't save people. You don't, you're not the one who does that. That's the Holy Spirit. God just wants to use you, and he wants to use me to open up people's minds and to get them to ask the most important question. Most people in this room believe there's a God. Even if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you believe there's a God. But the problem is most people out there in the world who 90-something percent of our population believes there's a God, but they're not asking the most important question, who is he? I, like I said, when I was younger, I believed there was a God because I looked at, I'm, I was, I don't know about you, and I don't think I'm smarter than anyone in this room, but at eight, nine years old, I laid there in bed and thought to myself, okay, at some point there was nothing. Just, I don't know what nothing looks like, but there was nothing. And all of a sudden, I'm here. I'm in bed here thinking about this. There's a universe. There are trees outside. It's all here. So how did all of this come from Nothing. And I'm thinking this is eight, nine years old. And I came to the conclusion that 
there must be a God. I think God was first and God created everything else because my two alternatives were God or nothing. Just logical thinking of a little kid. Now, I didn't understand all the arguments like I said, but when I started going to church, my question wasn't, is there a God or is there not a God? It was, who is this God? Is, you know, these pe- I like these people. They gave me smile faces on a thing. I want to I pursue it a little more. But who is this God? That's the question that needs to be asked. That's why this is a great series over the next few weeks for you to invite friends to. It's a non-threatening opportunity for them to sit down, listen to two people go back and forth, and just open up their hearts and minds to the reality of who, who is God? Who is this God? Because again, most people believe there is a God. Most people do not believe, as much as they're trying to be told, that nothing created everything. Most people don't believe that. Most people do believe in a God. The question is, who is he? That's a question for every one of you. It was a question for me, and it's a question for all of your friends. Let's fill up these chairs with people who want to know the answer to that question. This is a a fun... Let me ask... I'm going to step out on a limb here. I did it in the first service too. But usually what I would do was take one argument and then build a sermon around it, okay? Was this back and forth? Was it enjoyable? Did Did you track with it? Do you like this format? Okay, then I'll do it for the next three weeks. This is what I'll do. I was going to try it this morning, and if I thought I lost people or didn't make, wasn't making sense, I was going to go back to the, my original format. But I, I kind of like this. It's, it's not really the same way of preaching as I usually do because I have to really read and stay on target. Um, but I'll try to do it this way for the next three weeks if you like the back and forth. I, I kind of like it. It gives more of a, a real feel for her and what the questions she's asking and her, and her heart behind it all. So we'll continue down that road. But I really want to encourage you, invite people, invite people over the next few weeks, actually over the next few months, because once we leave this series, Conversations with a Happy Heathen, we're going to a series called All Out that will literally challenge you, not just the people you bring. It will challenge what you believe and what you think. Okay, it really will. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for this time that you've given us to be together. And we just ask, dear God, this morning that you would put one person, just one person in our minds right now that we would invite this week, this coming week for next week's sermon. Father, just, put, just let one person come into our minds, someone we care about, someone we maybe from work or school or someone in our neighborhood that maybe open, they've had questions, maybe they've asked questions of the, of, of the people in this, in this room, Lord God. I, I don't know, just put that person in our minds and then give us an opportunity this week to invite them to church next week. There's no more important question in life than who is God. There's no more important question that a person needs to answer I pray, dear God, that we would have the courage and the love to speak to someone this week and invite them next week, that those people would have an opportunity to have that question answered over the next few weeks. Father, we love you. We truly love you. We believe in you with all of our hearts. We know that you say, come, let us reason together. And your word says that we should be ready to give an answer. And we pray that through this series, it'll allow each one of us to just think a little bit more, gain a little more insight that we can use to share with a lost and hurting world. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.